Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Dental and Mental Podcast. Yeah, today's our first episode. Episode one. Episode zero one. <laughs> today's a welcome call, you guys. We're just we're just getting started. We're well, just feeling it out. Who are you? <laughs> I'm your husband. Uh, this is Dr. Galen Dietrich, and I'm sitting across from a very pretty lady. What's, Hi. <laughs> what's your name? I'm Dr. Davina Dietrich. <laughs> we are uh we're gonna just talk for you guys we're gonna figure out what's going on in life and in business and dentistry relationship kids all the things yep we're gonna be giving you the dental perspective from the clinically practicing dentist which spoiler alert is not me it used to be though used to, used be. to be you were just too good for dentistry you had to get out of it so let's give him some context give yourself give us a little background who are you? What do you do? Uh, okay. I'm a practicing dentist in the States, in New Mexico. Um, I currently practice in Santa Fe, which is the capital of our state. Um, it was not always as good as it is now. I'm in a very blessed position now up in Santa Fe, but definitely did not start there. Um, I've worked pretty much every job there is huh, in dentistry. I think so. I've been an assistant. I've been uh, a grunt worker in the back. I've worked front desk, and then out of dental school, I worked as an associate for a year. That was great for six months, fell apart in the second six months, left me jobless for, what, three months, and um, Davina was the only one pulling in any cash, which was great, tons of fun. Stayed at home, made a bunch of meals, worked out, and uh, loved the dad life for a little while. It's pretty cool. <laughs> But I needed to pull my own weight, and so then I finally got a job working in a juvenile detention center, and then that kind of blossomed into um, working several jobs on the reservations here in New Mexico, as well as picking up uh, a day a week at a uh, PPO practice. And so at one point, I was working uh, six days a week, six days a week, because I was starting Thrive Bioaesthetics on Saturdays. That's right. So yeah, working six days a week. Was absolutely exhausted, so so tired, and then we decided to build Thrive to try and get out of that. So, why don't you take it from there? Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you're here, you may have you may know us from the Thrive Dentist, which we started around that time, and that is a continuing education company supporting and helping dentists build practices that really the practice that they build is based on their vision and their terms, and we support them in doing that. So at that time, I then transitioned from clinical dentistry into coaching dentists, which I've been professionally doing for seven years. And there's nothing that I love more because I have been in dentistry since I was 16. I've never had a job it's crazy. outside of dentistry. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. I had a couple short stints where I went and worked for a solar company. <laughs> I went and... I, solar and molar. <laughs> That's right. I did sales marketing for a solar company right after COVID. Mm -hmm. I was so desperate to be around people that I started working at a solar company so I could have interaction. And I loved the door-to-door culture so much that I stayed there for a while and then came back to that job for an encore. It's a really real thing too, I think, right? During COVID, it was... For the first few months, people were pretty excited and jazzed about having more of a home life and taking a break from things, maybe even for the first couple weeks. But after a while, I think we started to notice in ourselves as well as many others that just like a 
really intense desire to be around people. For sure. I really, I really miss people. And I think that as much as I say and have constructed a life of being an introvert, I really love deeply connecting with people. I find them endlessly fascinating. (laughs) That you do. I know. Well, you always have your phrase too, which I think is very accurate, which is uh, something along the lines of money comes from God, but through people. Right. And so you have to, you have to go and have interaction with and relationship and build relationship with people, earn trust um, in many ways if you're going to provide the life that you want. I, I think that and I think too that money that you make, at least for you and I, has to feel good. You can make money in a lot of different ways and that money doesn't always necessarily have to come through the door and feel good, right? Yeah. Like, And so... I think you and I are very clear about the money that we make. We want it to come from being in service. We want it to feel good for people to pay us. We want that money to be, for lack of a better term, like happy money. (laughs) Right? Like I'm I'm happy to pay you. I'm grateful for what you did. We hope that that transaction feels really good. Mm -hmm. And it's not somebody writing us a check or paying us. And they're like, oh, this hurts. Because we know what that feels like when you pay something and you're like, I didn't get the thing that I wanted. This is terrible. It felt like a waste. I didn't do my research. Like, yeah, heaviness, yeah. you know. Well, there's three different ways in which any given interaction with a person, um, that can be through a contractual agreement. It can be through friendship. It can be through marriage. It can be through so many different avenues. But there's really only three manifestations of it. There's the lose-lose, the win-lose, and the win-win. And the only one of those that really feels good long-term is the win-win. And so if it's anything less than that, it's, it should be a no. Yeah, for sure. Well, so how does that, so you are, what is your practice name in Santa Fe? Uh, yeah, so I kind of left you hanging there, but um, yeah, so I was working six days a week and the uh, goal, so it was five days a week and then the sixth I picked up because we started to um, kind of design out a model. So Davina, um, Davina's a coach and she'll get into that more, but she is a She's a high-level, high-performance coach, very specifically working with dentists who are hungry, you'd say, right? Hungry to transform more than just one facet of their practice or life. It's like they want the whole. They want everything to be synthesized. Yeah, I'd say that that's a common factor in the dentist that I coach is that they excel in every area. So it's not, I'm going to build a business and I want to get to a million dollars at the cost of my relationships or health. They very much have a mindset of all boats rise as my leadership increases. Yeah. And so that's what we build. Yeah. So one of the things she asked me to do, I, re- I remember this very, very vividly actually, but we, <clears throat> we were having a conversation one night about kind of how much life sucked <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> yeah, way of putting it, it. It does some days. We know that feeling. Yeah. We were living in this house that we thought was going to be like a great little starter home and it was infested with ants, which was awesome. And our, my, my car got broken into a couple of times. I had my very first pair of Air Jordans ever in my entire life. I was so excited about it. This is like a year into being out of dental school. Yeah. So, you know, you guys all know what that's like. Dental school is basically, uh, you finally get out of it and you're thinking, now I can actually go buy some of the things I've always wanted that I've sacrificed for so long. So I remember going out and seeing my car, my back window broken, my Jordans stolen, and looking at our house and just thinking like, what in the world am I doing? This is this is not what I planned. This sucks. So I talked to Davina and very calmly and very collectively collected, she just said, 
go tomorrow. There's a favorite coffee shop that I had. She goes, go tomorrow and literally draw out, write down your ideal scenario, your ideal business. Like if you're going to practice in industry, what's the ideal way it looks? And I'm not a person that really likes to do that too often um, because I get uh, really trapped in the practical. Like that's not that, really that felt woo woo to you. Yeah, felt, it like, felt woo. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah, okay. oh yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, I'm, I can go there. I can do this exercise. I can go dry out what my perfect day is. And at the end, it's not going to be real. It's not going to be here. So I'll have just written down a dream. Cool, fun exercise. Complete waste of time. That's the way I kind of saw it. Off topic, but I am currently running spots in the Momentum Lab. And that is one of the things that we're going to be doing is designing the perfect day. The perfect day. The perfect day. Yeah. So so it's not just woo woo stuff. No, it's not. It's but I but I but I get when dentists come to me and, or you and say, you know, they've they've been through the personal growth and development and coaching and consulting gauntlet of positive energy and positive vibes and whatever and. You know, I just kind of think a lot of it's bullshit. I just do. That's just where I kind of come from. But I think you bring a different perspective to that. I think you're you're a very grounded, very practical person. And a lot of people wouldn't know this about you, but there is a pessimism to you that is also grounding to the positive that you bring. And I think that's actually a really good thing. So anyway, I did what you said. And I'm sitting there writing down what I wanted. And as I did, is like something kind of stirred inside me that engaged... Um, like a like a hope, I guess, would be the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. There was something that as I was writing that stuff down, it was like, only you can fix this. Like you have to take responsibility for the plight that you're in. And there are things that you may not like, but if you don't like them, then you need to fix them. So it was, it was almost like creating a very clear game plan. And I think that's a better way of looking at it. It's like, not like I'm carving out my ideal day per se. It's more like, here's the game plan for my life. And I'm not playing the game plan. I'm actually making decisions actively against it mm. or not making decisions at all, being indecisive. So I found it a very powerful exercise. And as I did, I wrote down essentially this like mind map of the things that I valued most. And when I started to look at them, it was, I don't know, it's just kind of, you know me, I'm this kind of way my brain's wired. I started to look for patterns and the pattern came into these six core values. And the six core values um, ended up being really kind of an acronym, which is what Thrive is. Time, happiness, relevance, income, variety, and experience. And those are the six things that I felt like I didn't have. Mm. But they were the six things that that I wanted. Yeah. And so it was, how do you go build that? And the only way I was going to go build it was by adding another day, right? So it looked like less of those six things on the front end to go build the six things. So you might talk more about that, but you know, that's kind of on the journey of telling you where I'm at now and what's called and all the rest. I think it's important to stop there and say like, that's a very common occurrence for us. The thing that you want is going to cost you more of the thing that you think you don't have. 100%. It's you, you're going to be asked to give something and it's usually the place that you want to give the least wherever you feel like you're in lack wherever feels like deprivation is going to be the thing that is usually required to take your next step. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Why That's do you think that is when you're feeling in lack and deprivation? Because yeah, cause it's so common. Like we, we all have that. It's like a, it's so weird, but you, maybe you want more productivity 
in your office, but you don't know how to do it. There's about 10 different ways that you can bring more productivity into your practice, but pretty much all of them are going to cost you money to learn how to do them. And so the very thing that you want more of, you actually have to give more of that thing before you can have. Why is that? Well, I think that sometimes it's coming from a place where you're not looking at it accurately and you're being asked to give something, but usually when you you feel deprived in another area, it's because you're not being expressed in another area, right? So what I see commonly that happens in dentists is they're very uniquely wired to crush goals and systems that are put in front of them, Hmm. right? So we're people who go to dental school. We have to achieve. We have to perform. It is competitive to get in. And we know how to do all of the things that are required and set forth in a very laid out plan. But then you've got this other side of dentists that are entrepreneurial. They're trailblazers. They do things in their own way. Think about how many dentists we know that have this whole secret life and not just like a little bit, like they're artists, they're performers, they have separate businesses, they, they have depth in, and mastery in completely different areas. Mm-hmm. So you've got this creative spirit, but you also have somebody who can essentially conform. Mm-hmm. And so when you put that person into a practice, that can be a hard place to start to learn where do I go through proven systems and where do I trailblaze? And when those two things are at odds, what happens a lot of times is I see dentists try one or the other. Okay, I'm going to go to a place and I'm going to learn that person's system. I'm going to go and implement it. Okay, well, then they go and do that and they realize that it actually isn't a fit for them or how they practice. And so then they rebel against that. And then they have a combination of Frankensteins of all these other people's systems that they think are supposed to work for them. And they're trying to conform to that. And it's crazy making. Hmm. So you start to feel deprivation in that area. And then you've got to go express in some other way. So it can be overspending, overlearning. Um, you know, there's some way of hiding when their creativity is not expressed in a way that brings their business to be more of who they are instead of less of who they are. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, the When we chose the name for the podcast... Um, it was more than just being clever. I think we what we've really experienced is that in any given craft, in any given field, there's such a strong component of the mentality, like that mental grit that you have to have and that perseverance from a mindset perspective. And it's not, it, I think it gets characterized as woo and out there and kind of existential, but truth is it's actually the power it's like the generator behind the actions that you take so a lot of what you're describing makes sense to me because it's there there very much is a a wrongful expression or repression of the thing that you're supposed to be doing because there's a lot of fear you know um i think for example about something like mastery like most of us if we're in dentistry we probably want to be really good at dentistry we're not content to just be meh for sure but that is that's going to beg a question and to me that question is why like why do you want to be masterful at that thing and i think we stop there we stay really stuck in the what and we never really get to that why because the why is going to infer why you have to keep going you won't achieve the what that you desire unless you really have a grounded why so for example if I want to be really, really good at full arch dentistry and I want people to come and like search me out, 
that's awesome. That's great. But why do I want that? What do I get from it? And once you kind of peel those layers back, a lot of times it's because I, I want to not have to scrape for every single dollar in the practice and be trying to, you know, get a person to do one filling at a time. I like comprehensive approaches and there's no way to do things comprehensively unless you kind of zoom out and look at the whole. So it begs for me to be more masterful at comprehensively diagnosing and treating people. And I feel like I'm doing a better job. So I know the why for me is taking better care of my patients, having more efficacious time spent chair side. I'm not goofing around with 10 patients and doing one and I'm making the same amount of money. Um, those are good whys. And then you're asked, how are you going to make that happen? Well, it's going to cost you money. And when you start to make sense of the why, it makes spending so much easier to do. Like, so much easier. Because I know why I want to do it in the first place. I'm, I've separated those two, if that makes any sense. It, it does. And I really love that you're bringing this up because, um, you know, we've all heard, especially dentists, they love to learn. So I feel like I can say this and everybody's going to get it. Simon Sinek really came out and started that, right? Start mm -hmm. with a why. The why, yeah. And I always felt a lot of resistance to that because as I would hear it explained, whether it's on shows or through other people, people's whys always seemed like something I couldn't connect to, right? They start with a why. I want to make an impact. <laughs> Do yeah. you? Do you? And that could be true. But I also think that there's layers that you can connect to emotionally that is the part that we say why we want something actually true mm -hmm. or does it just make it palatable, palatable for us to go after something and we're not giving our true right. intention? Like it's more environmental, like what you've been trained to say or think, even almost subconsciously. Right, right. So if you say, okay, I want to do full arch dentistry because... I want to help my patients. I really, truly believe in holistic healthcare, like the whole of a person, right? That can be true. And what you just pointed out, I want my time to matter more. I want to make more money doing it. I want, right? And that's the piece that are you really willing to go there and say the things that you really want? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. to say right. to say that you, to have a conversation around money, to say, I do want to have more income. I do want to have more time. Yeah. The, the money thing is so interesting to me. It does come up a lot, right? I mean, it, it's probably no more, it's probably never as um, apparent as with patients who see their obstacle to most treatment is money. And when you see that a lot, it should help you kind of reflect and see where you yourself are doing that too, because your environment is largely an, uh, a reflection of who you are and who you're being. Because what's that saying? Like you see the world not as it is, but as you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really true. Um, if you think about what's going to cost you and to, to achieve something that you want, one of the big problems, and I think you agree with this, we see this a lot in industry. We sell a lot ourselves, still do at times. It's that idea of um, when do I get to stop? You know? Oh, yeah. When is Friday? When is the weekend? When is spring break? <laughs> when is summer break? Right? We have this idea of when's the end of the day. Right. There's always that when's retirement. Yes. Right? When yes. we think about how many times we say that, it's when is that stopping point? I was raised like that, too. Oh, same. Right? Where 100%. that's the conversation is like, when is vacation? When's the weekend? When's retirement? When are all of these times where I get to stop? You see it with people who are looking to grow their, their business. So let's say you're like, okay, 
if I buy this one course, then like I should be able to like autopilot this from here on out, right? Like that should be the last investment I need to make on this front. But the people who are really successful, and I don't, that doesn't matter what industry we're talking about, they realize that there isn't a start and a stop. It's just one long process. You know, let's say that we want to get better in our practice at bringing more patients in. The marketing machine doesn't stop. It just grows. It gets bigger. You know, you spend more money to make more money. And, and I think that's a, it's a hard thing for a lot of dentists to understand. I see, I, th- I see it with dentists a lot. But the way I kind of have positioned it in my own mind is not like, when do I get to stop spending? I instead ask the question, when would I like to stop giving? Hmm. Because that's really what spending is. When you spend money, it is in circulation. And so you are paying for other people to pay for their children, to pay for their food, to pay for their staff, you know, products that you buy. That, that It all comes around and goes around. And it's the people who want to hold it close to their chest and hold on to it just a little bit longer. Or I'll do it now, but I don't want to do it anymore. To me, it's you're thinking about it wrong. You know, it's giving. Keep giving and you'll keep receiving. But if you think of it as spending, then you see it as a quantifiable amount that you have and you'll never get any more. And that's exactly why you're stuck. I always think about it too in terms of, I just have a rule for myself that when I spend, I will make that money back. Mm -hmm. I will make that. So it doesn't, I don't ever feel a certain kind of way, especially when I'm investing in myself and where we're investing in business. I just trust that as I spend that money, I'm going to get the lesson that I went there for and I'm going to use that and implement it in my business to make more money. Did you always have that approach or is that something that you had to learn or fail through? Uh, I do. I think it's something that I had to learn and fail through, but it came from the lesson of being able to trust myself because the lesson that I went in for sometimes when hiring coaches or mentors was not the lesson that I received, but it doesn't mean that I received less of a lesson. So Hmm. let me Hmm. say, so let's put it this way. I had a coach at one point and, um, she was top of the top, right? Top of the top. I was working with her privately and I was like, man, this is going to be the thing I am going to like really learn, really get it. Everything about this experience is going to be Mm -hmm. explosive. And the more I started working with her one-on-one, it was not that. It was not a great experience. (laughs) We were not a vibe together. Right. Um, I did not feel supported, understood. My choice. I take responsibility for that. But it was not what I thought it was going to be. But what came from her was I got to find, I, I found out who coached her. Well, stop for a second. That's actually kind of interesting. Because a lot of people, like the vast majority of people, will try something and say, as long as this decision doesn't fail me, I'll keep going. Right? They're looking for like this one time that I give, uh, that I'm going to say yes to something. It had better not fail me. It better not disappoint me. And you could have easily done that because it was a disappointment. I remember this. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. And you could have said, I'm done with this whole thing. I'm just going to go back to being a dentist and doing my thing and living life as it is. And you've been fine. Like that word's so prevalent. And you would have been fine. Right. But fine does not, that does not add up to a life that feels like you lived it well. No. So here's the rule for me. Bad coach, good coach. I'm going to win no matter what. 
I'm going to win no matter what. That always, is always betting on you. That is the rule for me. Mm-hmm. And so in that experience, I'm going to get something out of this. It might not be what I thought I was going to get out of it, but I'm going to get something out of it. Right. And what I got out of that experience was I found out who coached her. Right. And he, right. and he had been who I was looking for, but I didn't know I was looking for him. So a lot of coaches I had went to in the beginning had like a Genesis coach, right? Like the <laughs> one that they had all learned for learned from. And I didn't know who this was. So I had to go through a couple of them before I found him. And, and that coach, we've, we've been really transparent with who that is. That's David Nagel. Yeah. And um, he changed our life. And so if I had to pay her, I think at that time, maybe it was 10000 Yeah. And that was a ton of money. It was a ton of money. It was a ton of money. It's more than we made in a month. Yeah, absolutely. So at that time, $10,000, it was so much money. If I had to pay $10,000 just to find out who he was, that was worth it. That's what I went there for. And I actually learned a lot of lessons from her anyways, but it wasn't learning from her by watching what she was doing. It was learning through contrast. I learned a lot of what I didn't want to do and what I didn't want to do with clients. Right. When I think a lot of, a great deal of lessons are, um, they're not immediate. Right? No. They're very, very much patience-based, and which means that you have to carry them with you, right? Whatever that thing was that hurt or whatever disappointment you had working with that person or learning that or it wasn't quite what I expected it to be, those get to reward you later, you know? I mean, there are different different gestation periods in time for different types of seeds and lessons are no different to me. They all have a very different gestation period and there will come a time where it sprouts if you continue to water it, you continue to feed it, you continue to give it light. And that's really our job is to act in faith, right? That's the faith. You can't see the seed coming up. Okay, so here's a question for you. So we're talking about that in the context of lessons. Yeah. Which I think most people can get on board with and they understand, right? Yeah. That maybe a lesson of a past hurt failure, they'll get that at some point. What about successes? I've been thinking about Mm -hmm. this a lot recently because I have noticed that people don't actually really let their successes unfold either. Especially with people who are used to achieving, they achieve the thing and then it's on to the next. Correct. Correct. So I'm not talking about general people. I'm talking about high achieving dentists, which are the people that we know and we're talking to right now, right? They hit the goal and then they're like, what's next? Right. And they don't, they, they don't get the lesson from that success. And they actually, what I've seen is not take the time to honor it. Mm-hmm. And really integrate who they became in the process of achieving that goal. Right, right, yeah. Actually, I really love that. Um, so I think that speaks to a larger issue in humanity, which is if you have headlines and there's a positive headline and there's a negative headline, it's like nine out of ten people will click on the negative headline because that's the one that speaks to them. And um, psychologists call this negative bias. So you have a negative bias. And the reason you you're kind of pull towards that is because we as human beings are really, we have a predilection towards just looking at things that are painful because we resonate with them. Because it speaks as being more real. Successes are harder to, to appreciate, I think, because of that negative bias. 
Mm. And there's such a wealth. Like how many times have you heard people say, like, I've always learned more from my failures than my successes. Like I've seen that so many times on Instagram from people trying to be humble or maybe they're, maybe it's kind, maybe it's it's just who they really are. But I, I think like no doubt failures have taught me a ton when you have a person come in and a crowns come off uh, or you have a person come in and their temporaries broke um, or a person's in pain and you just took care of them and you thought that you did a good job. Like, you get to learn from that and it is very, very helpful. But how many of us look back at that win that you just had or the lots and lots of wins, right? Like we have, you know, not to date this podcast, we have like 750 five-star reviews on Google and there are a couple that are bad. Which are the ones you think we focused on, right? Versus looking at all those 745 of them and saying to ourselves and to our team, like, guys, we're doing the right thing. People resonate with this. This is awesome. What are we doing more? How can we do more of that? We're not learning from those successes and carrying those through. Um, so I think there's a huge wealth of wisdom. That's my point. In doing that. That's my point. When people say, I've learned more from my failures, I actually think that's because we roll around with our failures more than we do our successes. Yes. Right? Like if you're if you're if you have uh, an amazing post somewhere and everyone's like way to go, smashed it, killed it, love you, blah blah blah. And one person's like you're a loser. Did you focus on the rest of the comments that were amazing? You're like why does that one person think I'm a loser? What did I do? Why don't they like this? What it, right? You sit there and you roll around with it in your head and you it stays with you. Well, think about the kind of attention you get though too. If you are the kind of person who is saddened or depressed because of something, some news, people will give you that type of attention that is care. Like, what do you need? How can I be there for you? But if you're just crushing and life is awesome, and maybe you've had plenty of failures, but you don't talk about them, you don't complain about them, you don't whine about them, people think you're fine. So you don't get attention for that. And so it's a, I actually think that what you're really getting at is that it's, it is easy to learn from failures because that's socially acceptable. What's not terribly socially acceptable is to uh, not complain, to not whine, to not gossip, to not, you know, constantly talk in the vein of transparency about all that's wounded you, but instead to keep going, to keep in momentum to the point of what you're running with momentum lab. Like stay in that. It's a mental grit that's what we call it mindset your your mind is literally set it will not go backwards right and yeah. that is what people all of us at some level have really lacked at some point in our lives i think about it from you know you and i have coached people together mm-hmm. how much do they only celebrate their successes with us oh actually that's probably all of them right it's one of, it's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. honestly one of the things that you know i love about coaching to me it's this incredible thing that i get to experience front row it's the only place that's safe these people come and say you know oh my gosh knowing that they were having a cash crunch at the beginning of the month and then now maybe at the end of that month they did a record number and it's not just about the money so let's just be clear about that but we get to see them we get to see them say you know and i had this patient who was incredibly awful to my team and I went and had this conversation. I took care of it. And I released that patient from my practice. And it's right. like they get to celebrate those things, but not with anybody else. It's usually in the personal space of a coaching container. Well, and I think we need that. Like as people, you really do need, like I, what, what did I tell you yesterday? I mean, I do this a lot with you. 
um, because I like to, and, and I get something from it. But like I wrote you yesterday when I was right, right, ready to come home. Yeah. And I was telling, I was telling to you know, like kind of what was going on in the practice and what had happened over the last three days and, uh, share a little bit of that because it, I was telling you about how like no one knows, but really goes on. And so I felt like I needed to be seen for that because I couldn't share it with anybody else. I, I, I mean, we're sharing it here, but this is a new idea. Right. Up until now, it's like, well, I guess I'll just, you know, write that in my diary. Yeah. So um, this last week was a really hard week for you, mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of like clinically producing because your partner, you, you guys have a big practice together and your partner's been out sick yep. all week. Yep. And so that is you running six columns alone yeah and you still have the same amount of staff to be able to take care of all of those columns and you had what did you see this this week 60 units i think 62 63 units so you seated 63 units which is non-productive time you don't get to bill again for seating those units and you still had to produce so yeah i mean do you want to talk about that or (laughs) well i mean uh I'll give you the, the the basics of it first, but there's something more to it all than just the numbers. So yeah, it was um it was three days that I just knew were going to be tough. And um, my partner was um, Dev, who's an amazing producer, um, awesome clinician, great guy. Um, out for one like probably like the first week or second week, maybe like all year, he's usually there. And so it was kind of unusual for him not to be there. Uh, it's the end of the year. And so, you know, you guys all know what that's like. I mean, emergency after emergency, call after call. And we were already, I was already completely jam packed. Like you could not fit another single person into my three columns, but then dad was out. So I had his three columns. Uh, we had about two or three of our staff members who had to call in sick. They weren't feeling good either. Something was kind of going around. I felt like I was not feeling a hundred percent. I was just kind of like sort of in limbo, but I was like, all right, I got to show up. I got to go do this thing. And yeah, I, it was a lights out freaking week. Like everyone crushed. We got out more or less on time, almost every day, about 30 minutes late every day. So from seven to four. Which is not bad for six columns. Not bad. (laughs) And we produced uh, 75,000 in three days um, with probably about nine hours worth of non-productive time because of all the seedings that we had to do. Um, an emergency that you're just seeing triaging and referring to a specialist. Um, and I didn't do any arches at all there either. No I didn't arches. produce a single arch. So, you know, I think sometimes people look at like my Instagram and think that all I do are big cosmetic cases. In fact, I've had people ask me where they should go for crowns because they don't think I even do those. Right. And you know, we did a monster amount in three days of, general dentistry, quadrant, general dentistry, orthodontics, etc. And so um, I wrote you though, the reason for the story, is I wrote you because there are so few people that I can talk to and share those wins without it making them feel some sort of way. Right. Um, and that's never my intention. My intention is to make someone feel, oh, like you're less than or you didn't produce as much or to create some weird competition. It's, it's more because... I think validation and being seen as a human being is such a crucial piece. And I'm not above that. Like I, I do want to be seen for those things. I did that largely because I'm taking next week off and which means I'm not making any money. That's non-productive time for me. 
And so to care for my family and to feel really good about things financially and to know that I took care of my patients, I slammed it all in. And I want to be seen for that. you know. And I think sometimes we feel wrong for wanting to feel seen. For, but for you're, sure. you're really good at that. And I think it's partially because you are such um, a present and commanding coach that you have that space and ability and talent to be able to do that too without it making you feel any sort of way or projecting anything. You can very much hear that as a spouse and not as a coach and say like, thank you so much for doing that for our family. Like you have that kind of humility. So anyway, I the point is I think people pine for that and there's not a lot of places where we have that kind of outlet 100 percent. so i think that leads me into something else that would be interesting for you and i to talk about is that you and i i think um and have because we talk about that because we talk about intentionally seeing the wins of other dentists i think that there has been this idea that that's all we care about Right. Even right now, talking about numbers or talking about wins, I will share a lot of wins from my clients. And so I think that that can come across as those are the only things that are important to us and in Thrive. Right. 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 People have that perspective because as a whole, we only see each other, you know, dentists they see on Instagram. It's the same reason why people think that all I do is cosmetic dentistry. It's because that's what I'm showing. We show a facet of who we are because there's so much more to the picture. And unless you meet us in person, you would never really know unless you have a relationship with us, right? Like I don't think any of our coaching clients would ever say that's the thing we're about ever. Even though we talk about it a lot, there's such a wider range of what we talk about and focus on. In fact, we don't really focus a whole lot on that other as other than like a metric. To, to track. Yes. So I think that's a big piece of it, don't you think? That- yes. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is not in the context of, hey, you guys, but we want you guys to think that we're really good people and that we don't just care about the money. Because <laughs> that's actually not why I'm bringing it up. But I'm bringing it up because dentists struggle with this too, yeah. is wanting to be seen for having big hearts and feeling some kind of way when the perception is that they only care about the money, right? Right. When they're increasing their fees, when they want to see more comprehensive dentistry, when they are making that switch, they feel such a need to be like, but don't you understand I'm a good person and here's why I'm doing this. And so that actually really slows down their leadership to be able to be bold in how they want to run their practice. What do you see from a clinical perspective as we're talking about that? Um, you know, I see this no more present than with patients, like I said earlier. I think that when you make a decision like, hey, I'm not going to take insurance anymore, you are opening yourself up to being a massive target, um, for a while anyway, to people saying it's all about the money and patients saying like, you, you know, you dirty dentist, you greedy dentist, like blah, blah, blah. Oh, what about the... I'm paying for your yeah, car Ferrari, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You're like, it's a Tacoma. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I think a large part of the way you have to respond to criticism is to say, I get it. Because I think if you really were to put yourself in their shoes and you understood their life and you understood what, they were, what their pressures were, you would get it. And a large obstacle that we have as human beings is to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. And this is why we're so judgmental. It's why it's so easy to gossip. It's why it's so easy to 
trash someone else on their side of a keyboard. Or, yeah, because you're triggered, right? It's you're like It's something that you can't own. Right. Yourself. I have patients, um, a large part of my clientele are people who have temperamental dysfunction, um, who are in pain, have symptomology. And, you know, they come in and they've been told that they're crazy because someone else just doesn't have the patience for it anymore. And I do because you were in pain for a time. Right. You had firsthand experience (laughs) experience. of somebody who was air quotes crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I slept next to you and I saw you in pain. I saw you having a hard time sleeping. And what happens when we don't sleep? We're not ourselves. Right. We're more irritable. We're more angsty, anxious, all the things. And so I, I do my best just to put myself in another person's shoes and say, first and foremost, um, if I don't understand it completely, I want to understand it. So if a person says, like a patient, that it's you're all about the money or you're buying my Ferrari or whatever it is, you know, I get that. I get why you would think that, 100%. And I'd say the same thing to dentists. When dentists think that that's all that we focus on, it's not to make me a better person. We do focus on money. I'm very unashamed about doing that. I was going to say, we, we are not, we're not shying away from that conversation because you own, we, we own all of it. Well, and I own it and you own it because it matters. Like people want to make it seem like, well, it's not really about the money and blah, blah, blah. Money matters, dog. Like that is how you live your life. It is the, it is the medium by which you buy food, put gas in your car, pay your staff. It's how you literally do everything. You said something, and I always really loved it. You said, um, you know, it's about helping the good guys win. Yeah. Because I think that a yeah. lot of the doctors that come into Thrive, they are incredibly clinically talented, right? right? They have big hearts. They want to do stuff for their team. They want to be the best clinicians they can be for their patients. They want to support their families. They want all of these things. Like, they lead with a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. And then when we show them, okay, actually increasing your leadership and doing things your way is going to be the piece that brings more money into your practice. <laughs> it's like the side effect. It's not like we're, you know, yes. we're, so, yes. so it's, that's never the point. The money is a side effect of them really stepping even bolder into their leadership and what they can provide, yes. what they actually provide for patients. Well, and who they'll actually be. So I like to use analogies, and I think one of the analogies that makes the most sense to me with regards to how you and I work with dentists, and in particular, I think how you do it from a mental perspective. Um, Imagine you're sick, and someone says, just take this supplement, just take these drops. They're looking at a symptom, and they're saying, just do this, and you'll feel better. And there's tons of that on the internet right now, right? Like, just take this tincture, and it's going to make you all better. Um... Or just take this pill. That's big pharma all the way. But what I see focusing on money is, is it's like saying, are you sleeping well? And the person's like, no, I'm not sleeping well at all. It's like, let's do that first. Let's focus on sleep because all of the other stuff doesn't matter unless we can get that right. Your body has to have time to actually heal itself. And it's probably the most powerful medicine we have is sleep. Good, deep sleep. In the same way, if you have all the other things, all the other talents, all the other skill sets, you're an amazing clinician, blah, 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 but you're not making any money and no one's saying yes to you, you will be desperate. You will push harder. You'll be annoying to your team. You'll lose your patience. You won't be generous. All of those things will be true. You, will, you won't have money to pay for the things that make your practice bigger, make your reach better. And so the good guys aren't winning. Right. The good guys are losing. So to me, it's like sleep. 
Let's focus on the money until the money's not an issue anymore. Let's get you good sleep until sleep's not an issue anymore. Then we'll focus on things that are a little bit more pinpoint and strategic. That's the way I see it. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's really true, and we've got to see that. Yeah, we've got to see people have that experience, that change. Hundred percent. And yeah. and has it come at the cost of them doing worse by their patients? <laughs> no, not not even a little bit. I think. You know, we've had some coaching clients recently ride us and they went through really hard things, very hard things. And when you layer financial stress on top of all that, it's just like the thing that breaks the camel's back. Like it's just so hard. But a lot of our clients cleaned up the stuff on the front end. And so they were making money. And then when really hard things happened, like really hard arguments with spouses, you know, over things that were... um very difficult to to overcome, had been over, difficult to overcome throughout their entire relationship with that person, or the death of someone really close to them, a parent, you know, being audited by the IRS, like things that would throw most people just totally off the rails, especially if money was a big issue. That was already taken care of for them. So they were able to focus very intently, very presently on doing you know, and getting a solution to those problems. Presence. Like we talk about presence all the time. It is really difficult to be present when you are stressed about the bills you have to pay. And if there's anything that we know about a lot of dentists now, because we were there, you and I were very much there. Like the debt's real. For the sure. Debt's, it's crushing. For sure. I also think that there is, um, there's such a huge opportunity when we do see our docs going through a cash crunch. Because I, I think that when we use that problem and we see it as an opportunity, mm-hmm. they get to see a different version of themselves. Right. They get to understand that when they do these things that we have them do, yeah. that they can start to bring money in and then it doesn't have to feel so erratic anymore. Right. Right. And all for a point. You know, like, like you said earlier, the why, it feels a little bit almost archaic sometimes like really we're going to go back to this why can't we just get into action but i think they start to see why the why matters so much and that's a lot of you know you've done that before that's an exercise you do with your clients what is it that you're looking to accomplish and what do you get from it right the what do you get from it is the why and you've had patients you know clients i'm about to say patients you've had clients that go back six months later in a 12-month container with you and in six months, they've checked off all those boxes. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's the most shocking to them isn't the money they made. It isn't this. It's that, oh, wow, I've actually already done all of that. I accomplished everything in six months and half the time. And I've been coaching with other people for years. I've been doing all these other seminars for years and nothing worked. And it's because it's not because we're special. It's not because we're so much better. We just focus on the things that matter. There's a very real step-by-step process. And if you don't put things in the right order, just like sleep, if you start adding tinctures in there and it's haphazard and there's no control to your study, it isn't going to work. Right, right. So when you are, when you're really making strategic plans for Vita and the practice, right? How do you use information that you get, but do it your way? Because I think that that's such a key piece, right? As you're leading the practice, as you're pushing, especially in the practice and what the vision is for it, how do you consume information, but on your terms? 
This is a really great question. It's one that I think I could expound on quite a bit. It's like it's almost a whole other topic, like a whole other podcast. Oh, well, maybe, that, maybe like, that'll maybe be episode, maybe it's episode two. two. Because I actually think that once people understand what you're asking, they'll see that it affects them in like really big ways because it really impacted me and it was making me struggle for quite a while. So like I think it's a struggle good, in like a second guessing of yourself. Second guessing. Yeah. A lot of doubt. And you know, I've been practicing for um, 10 plus years now and it felt like I was going back in time and that I had taken multiple steps in the wrong direction until you gave me a pretty brilliant insight into who I am from a program perspective, from a, from a design perspective. And, um, yeah, I think that shifted just about everything. I mean, the numbers don't lie either. That's another great reason for numbers that eventually the numbers aren't going to lie, you know, in the interim, while you're making changes, they may not be everything that you want, but if you stick with something long enough, you're going to start to see the results if it's a good plan. And it did. So I'd love to expand on that more. What I will do is kind of give people that where I actually work because I never got the okay. answer. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> I what... sidestepped it about <laughs> six times. Um, and this goes to your point of, of the, the, the patience and the lessons and looking at successes and not just failures. Um, I Looking at being cut loose from my associateship after a first year and then staying at home for three months I could easily look at those things as being massive failures, and I did for a while. Like, you know that. I, I felt, yeah. honestly, as a man, um, and this is just more the way you and I are cut, it's the way we were raised, but it felt really bad having you go work and make money and me being at home sitting there like, what in the world am I doing? And knocking on dentist doors, literally. Literally. For, you know, two plus months trying to get a job, just knocking doors. I mean, I might as well be in solar, just trying, just pushing product. <laughs> I was the product and no one was buying. And, you know, it was depressing. And then I'd go home and you'd drive home after what, what, what was your commute? Like four hours? A round trip, four hours, two hours trip, there, hours. two hours back. Yeah. You're exhausted. You know, like it, it was miserable. And I felt like so little of a man and I could have easily stayed in that place. And then working at juvenile detention centers in a cinder block, little operatory, you know, like, that felt like, especially for my associateship with an AACD accredited fellow, like, I mean. My, I how the like mighty a, have fallen. <laughs> I felt like a freaking loser. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it was humbling. But that led me eventually to a couple of things. One, learning composites and, because that's all the material I could use. And I learned that so well that we were able to eventually build a course around that because we started to get a little bit of traction and notoriety for doing that, using that material in that way. And I also was given the blessing of being able to work on reservations. And what came from that was meeting Devin, my now partner. And well, I met him 2015, I think mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. In 2015. And you fast forward to 2020, yeah, 2020. And he's overwhelmed with a couple of practices basically falling apart, closing their doors and saying, will you please take our patients? He has this massive influx of patients up in Santa Fe, relatively new practice and he's dying. I think it's important to note that he called me he to call Davina first. 
I, I'm okay with being second fiddle. I'm okay. He called me to go and help. And <laughs> he did. I actually just think that that's because I was floating around at the time. So I think he called me because he knew I had the bandwidth. But Just better looking, better with patience, well, when he was, smarter, all the <laughs> When he was explaining what he needed, I'm like, oh, no, I don't. I think you called the wrong Dietrich. <laughs> Please hold. Oh, man. Yeah, I would never have met him. And it was a, it was a very much it was a it was a God ordained thing like he just I happened to fill in at the at the pueblo that he was working at and we hit it off really quickly and I worked there for two weeks and then it was just a friendship like nothing went on beyond that he was working in the reservation I'm having like locum tenens about. Uh, sort of jobs right this sounds like a romance like when we first oh, met yeah. there was there was we had an instant connection but i didn't talk to him for years i dropped my phone and then a hundred percent and so yeah so then he calls you and i end up going to the practice and saying you know what i'll do it for what uh, i think it was like i'm gonna do a day a week and i was just gonna do his full arch dentistry right not at all possible. Like neither one of us knew what we were really asking for. It was not going to work that way. It was too hard to build a reputation going up there one day a week. That's the truth. And there were too many patients. It wasn't going to help him out that much if I saw two to three people for a full arch. It was going to do nothing. And so one day turned into two, turned into three, which is where it's at now. But um, that basically made me close doors on my practice down in Albuquerque uh, for Thrive Bioesthetics. And I just migrated up there. And so I've been there two years now. And in those two years, we've grown the practice from 1.4 to 5. almost 2 this year. That's incredible. That's incredible. And we work three days a week, each that, of us. That's incredible. You know? And I think that's the power of, of working with somebody that you really do um, respect because I do. What would you say about the timeline? Like, especially if somebody right, somebody right now could be listening to this and, and they're in the place where it's like, I'm temping or I'm trying to figure it out or I'm piecing together several associateships. And it can really feel like I'm never going to have my own practice. I'm totally. never going to get there. It can really feel like that. Oh, I felt that way until like two and a half years ago. <laughs> For sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you and I know what that feels like. So what now that you're here, right, talking about Vita and what it's doing what can you offer as a perspective of timeline? Yeah. Right? Because when you're like, how how do you now, from this angle, view time? Well, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but you said, you know, we were talking about your your clients and it's coaching clients who thought things were going to take years upon the years to get these goals. And I think you looked at, I mean, you looked at those goals on those sheets of paper and you and I were talking over dinner one night and you're like, they have no idea what's what they're capable of. They have no idea what's possible. You know, you get really excited when you see those because you're like, these goals are small. That's the way you feel. And to them, they're large. They're huge. But to you, you're like, this is so doable. So six months later, they've crushed them. And they didn't even know they did it. Mm-hmm. It was that subconscious that, I'm not going to say easy because it's actually the hardest work. It's, it's the so hardest hard. work to give up your ego to give up your need to be right. What, you know, it's that Nagel quote, which I just love. It's like, you can either be right or you can be rich. Oh, he said that so many times when we it's were arguing. Yeah. When we were arguing points about like, this isn't going to work or I'm this way or whatever it is. And that's what he would say to us. And it's rich in all the forms, right? right? I mean, think about it being in a relationship. A lot of you guys listening, I'm sure that even in recent times, especially as you get into the holidays, 
fights with the person that you love and arguments that you're like, ugh, you just can't let it go. That's another instance. You can be right about your point, your stance, or you can forgive and you can be rich in relationship. Yeah. Rich in um, your attraction to the other person again. And so um, it has a lot of bearings on multiple parts of our life. That said, I was making like at the height of my locum tenum stint, like $75 an hour. At the low, like in the $45 range, Devin was making $54 an hour on the Pueblo. So, I mean, that's pretty terrible. You know, it's $400 to $500 a day at most, at most. And that's probably where a lot of people are now um, or some, or even higher than that. That's pretty low. To be at where we're at now, I think Dev is right around twenty five hundred dollars an hour. You know, myself included, we're right around the same same mark. Uh, I never would have thought that was possible, ever. That's that would have blown my mind, blew my top off. And the truth is, it's not easy. Our days are not easy. Um, people look at our schedule like that's nuts, but it's doable. Do you know what I'm saying? Like everything's a trade off. You're not going to make millions of dollars doing nothing. But you also don't have to work so hard that you kill yourself to make a few extra bucks. Like there are smarter ways of doing things. And if you have the right guidance, man, sky's the limit. And you've helped me a ton. You've you've helped both of us actually. You've worked with Devin and I both to better their practice and better our systems and better our relationship with one another. And to me, that's pretty invaluable. You know, I love me some dentists. Mm, love them dentists, dog. Come on now. <laughs> so yeah, so much more to talk about. We can keep going. But yeah, this is a good introductory, well, hopefully good. Uh, well, we don't know. We, well, we don't know. What can we do? We, sh- we show up and we talk. Huh? <laughs> I will say as a, little, a quick little, I have nothing to do with it, by the way, and literally nothing to do with it, but. Although I did design the logo. I feel pretty good about that. Mm. Um, Momentum Lab is, um, if you're if you're new to the Thrive ecosystem, or even if you're not, but you know that you're capable of more. And I think we all know that. We, you do. You have, it's like when I went to that coffee shop and I finally found that hope. It's just like that little belief, that little seed that says like, I could be doing more than I am right now. I could be more than I am right now. And that's really the goal, isn't it? Like the goal is, as you make more money, you have to become the person who's capable of making more money. To have more staff members and employ more people, you have to be the kind of person who can employ and manage and lead that many people. And that comes with lots of blows. Yeah, I, I will say this because, um, you know, everybody wants the thing, right? I want the $5 million practice. Those things are, that's the easy part, right? It's like, okay, cool. Now we know what that is. Now we've got to work on the piece of you that has to handle the flip side, right? So it's like, well, we know we could handle the $5 million, no problems there. But can you handle the patients that come with that? Can you handle the team that comes with that? Can you handle the schedule that comes with that? Can you also grow your relationship and not let your health slip? And can we hold all of that? And simultaneously have the $5 million practice. Mm-hmm. So that's the place where we've got to really increase leadership and build that muscle is to hold the reciprocal of the thing that you want. And becoming more of the things that you actually love about yourself. For sure. Right? It's a, like it's an increasing. More generous. Yes. It's, it's an increasing. It's a deepening. One of the things that I think is interesting is when people talk about authenticity. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, okay, well... 
they're they're used to being a certain way and so when we ask them to push outside that range it feels inauthentic right right it's like well like okay if you have somebody who is always super super kind and then i ask them okay i need you to start playing with boundaries in this way which may lead to a hard conversation and if you're not a person who's habitually having hard conversations having a hard conversation can feel inauthentic uh yes right yes right and so i think that that's an interesting frame of viewpoint because authenticity means that we have all these facets of our personality and because we only play within a range of one to four that's our habitual personality but it doesn't mean that going outside that range is inauthentic right well right yeah yeah, I completely agree with that. And right? We all want to be heroes. And like, that's why the hero's journey is such a thing. And we, we really do. Every single one of us has that, I think, embedded in us. That's my personal belief. But every great hero has to have a villain. And the villain's going to show up as all of your greatest fears. And those greatest fears can be really difficult things that happen in life. That can be one of your beloved staff members quitting. Um, it could be someone getting pregnant and deciding they don't want to come back, you know, and, and you're like, man, I work so well with them. Like, how do you react in situations like that? Are you the kind of person that now has done the work in order to tackle those heroically hard conversations? The thing about hard conversations is on the other side of hard conversations are really big rewards. The harder the conversation, the bigger the reward. I've always found that to be true. For sure. Doesn't make it any less hard. For sure. And the truth is, this is this goes back to the start and stop thing. Like, you have one hard conversation, doesn't mean it's the last one you're going to have. But that shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be, I want to become a person who can have as many hard conversations as God puts in my lap, or whatever, whatever you believe, right? As much as going to come down the pipe in your life, you want to be the kind of person who is called upon when things are really dire, because you're the kind of, you have the sort of fortitude to tackle that. Right. That's the kind of person you want to be. And you don't get there tomorrow. You have to have a realistic viewpoint on time. But it probably doesn't take you nearly as long as you think that it does. Because if you take certain actions right away and you have a specific recipe for getting there, you can condense that time frame massively. That's what I've experienced. And that's kind of what I was going to say. Is I think that's your goal with Momentum Lab is to get people taking action right away to such an extent that if I'm right, you're doing work on the calls themselves. You're actually going to be like, hey, part of it is learning, but the majority of it, like two thirds of it is actually doing work on the calls right then and there. So that's like, it's kind of like doing homework in class. Yes. Yes. So that's one of my favorite components that has been added to the Momentum Lab is that we're going to actually be workshopping these things each week and what I'm calling Sunday sessions. So that you can step into your practice on Monday and we have new decisions made that you're going to be implementing that week. That's how we're going to really start to create momentum in the practice for 2024. So I'm really thrilled about that because concepts are great. Learning is great, but dentists don't have a problem learning. That's not, Mm -hmm. that's not where they have a, that's not where the challenge is. Consuming, yeah. Right. The challenge is, can I implement this thing that is actually really difficult? And then when I get the feedback of how that implementation went, then what do we do with that information from there? Which is why it's called Momentum Lab. This is a laboratory. We're going to be testing things out, getting information back in real time, correcting the problem and iterating 
throughout the duration of five weeks. Yeah. So I'm super stoked about that for the doctors who are going to be joining me in Momentum Lab 2024 is going to be absolutely extraordinary. And we're going to be setting the foundation for that to be the case. I also think that as we've we can kind of end on this note, and there's so much more we can talk about. I'm excited for for episode zero too. But you know, you have no clue what's coming down the pipe. None of us do for what tomorrow holds. And so, one of the great mistakes that I think a lot of dentists will make is the idea of like universalism that today is the same as yesterday is the same as the day before that. So tomorrow will be the same as today, and two days from now will be the same as today as well. And that is, um, that's, I think that's a totally great way of thinking about things if you are planning your business. That's totally cool. Like you, you, you shouldn't be planning your business in fear. You should be planning your business from a place of hope. But you shouldn't prepare yourself, the businessman or woman, in that way. Mm. Preparation and planning are two very different things. I love that. So I would plan as if things are going to continue to go well. But you need to prepare yourself to be able to overcome and handle anything that comes your way. And we saw this in 2020. Yes, and we did. we'll see it again. I guarantee that at some point something will happen and it will shake most of your friends and colleagues because they didn't prepare. And their plans fell apart. Yeah. Can you be the sort of person that's agile enough in mindset and in business to be able to now shift gears? And take the next step. And so I think that's a part of what you're doing too is that it's not just make a plan but also prepare the mind for that. So uh, it's exciting stuff. I think people should get into it for sure. Well, I am looking forward to it. And um, I'm, hey, great talking to you today. Great talking to you. I, I don't know when I'll see you next, but this has been such a good time. We are so grateful for everybody who's listened to the very end of this for our very first episode. We know that... Um, Time is a really rare and precious thing. So if you've spent any of yours with us, we are so grateful for you. 100%. Well, welcome to the Dental and Mental Podcast. May we, uh, may we have a good time here. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>